0: Hi everyone, in today's episode we're going to discuss change management for legal design. We will start by addressing what is legal design, how is it different from design thinking, and why is it important for lawyers. We will also address the difficult task of how we bring about change management to legal teams and help them become more design driven and the change management principles that can help. We have Mira Klemola, legal designer and change management practitioner to help us better understand these concepts. Welcome Meera, it's good to have you.
1: Thanks so much Priya Dashani, I'm really happy to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. So before we get into the questions Meera, I thought we'd give the audience a little bit of background about you. So sure. Meera has a qualifications in law, business and design management and is presently the global learning and development lead at Watsilla, a listed tech services company in the marine and energy markets. She co-authored a book along with Astrid Kohlmeier called The Legal Design Book, Doing Law in the 21st Century, which is one of the first texts in the legal design space. She's also a visiting professor at Bond University, where she teaches the course Fundamentals of Legal Design, a course designed for legal professionals seeking to obtain formal qualifications in legal design. She also has her own consultancy, Ground M, where she advises clients on strategies to curate learning solutions and create a learning culture at their organization. Essentially, she has a wealth of knowledge on legal design and its application to legal teams, and we're delighted to have her with us today.
1: Oh, Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk about some of my favorite topics. Um, And I can also hear that we have some visitors from the birds in the trees outside
0: there, which is lovely. (laughs) That is true. Um, I typically do my podcast recordings in the evening, but today it's the middle of the day and we have the birds also joining us. So for the audience, (laughs) uh, they're also tuning in. So uh, I thought we'd start with one of the basic questions as you know design thinking is one of the latest buzzwords and everyone is talking about it even at WallChat talks we recently did an episode on design thinking for lawyers so my first question is to ask you what exactly is legal design and how is it different from design thinking
1: i think that's a really great question uh, for us to start with here um i think a good parallel to draw is to say that um, you know paediatrics is the whole field of medicine. That would be the same as saying design thinking is the same as the whole field of legal design. Where paediatrics is an area within medicine, design thinking is an area within legal design. I think that's a good place to to start thinking about the differences. Um, In my book, which I have here, uh, which I co-authored with Astrid Kohlmeier, as you mentioned, The way we have defined legal design is design deployed in the field of law to create innovation and better outcomes. And in order to understand that definition, it's important to understand what is design? Um, So at a high level, design is a mindset. So that's the lens uh, that designers use when they first start to tackle a problem or look to Uh, better relate to their target audiences and that lens is one of empathy and one that is something called human-centered so it's always thinking from your user's perspective and your user experience so that's design as a mindset then we have design as a process um, and that is your design thinking design thinking is a well-established framework for innovation and that's why it's not only applied in the design industry but across all the different fields um, in the globe, from healthcare to banking and finance and now to law. So that's really the process of going from your idea to your solution. The stuff that happens in the centre there is an iterative process, uh, which is based on prototyping, feedback, and that is called design thinking. And it's a proven framework for innovation. But then finally, we also have design as a skill set. So like in law, when people specialize in different areas of law, you have different specializations within design. So there you could have, you know, things that people think of immediately would be more the aesthetic side of things when you hear design. So you've got graphic design, visual design, UX design, but equally you also have service design, business design, organizational design. So when you put all of that together, that is what we're talking about when we say legal design. It's about um, harnessing the potential of the entirety of design, not just design thinking, but the mindset, the process, and all the skills. How can we deploy that in the field of law to better serve our clients, to innovate, uh, and of course, to just create added value?
0: I I, Yeah, it does. And I love the fact that you broke it down to it's a mindset it's design thinking and a skill set because often we confuse legal design or design thinking even to to just aesthetics but it's not just about that it's so much more
1: yeah good i'm glad it makes sense and that uh it's important to make that distinction that design thinking is just maybe a drop in the ocean of the legal design um yeah concept
0: so you know mira law has traditionally been a little bit of an enigma for the layperson. The use of legal jargon, the complex legal systems and the general inaccessibility of justice to the common man all mm. make law on, and the legal industry perfect for the use of legal design. So I was wondering if you could give us a few examples of use cases where legal design was applied to legal teams or legal problems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really exciting uh, to see is that in the last four to five years, the implementation of legal design so not just talking about legal design but actually implementing it and seeing results and use cases is just growing exponentially and that's really exciting Um, but it also validates uh, that legal design isn't just a fad but it's very much um, a skill set and to like contained of tools and methods that the legal industry is really seeing benefits from Uh, you spoke about access to justice Uh, A few case studies around there in different jurisdictions from uh, Australia to America to Brazil uh, is using legal design um, to better design court processes. So taking that human centred approach, then utilising design thinking and finally um, your skill sets of design. Many different courts have been able to better design the court process for the lay Uh, person, so that it's not as overwhelming, so that they understand what their obligations are, where they need to be, and what's actually happening in court proceedings. Then we, of course, have um, legal information, and that is where you're going to see the bulk of legal design work initially. So how do we make contracts more easy to understand, and with that, um, making the negotiation time Reduced. So um, I've worked with quite a few different companies there, whether it be large private practice firms or uh, listed energy companies, fashion brands, there we really do create, use legal design to create different playbooks uh, to help with their negotiations, to help their business and marketing teams understand uh, when a takeover is happening, what they can and cannot say, etc. A third area, there are many applications, but I think for the purposes of this discussion, I'll I'll stick to just three. The third area uh, that we really see legal design coming up in is uh, the development as well as implementation of legal technology. So there we're seeing uh, innovation teams, legal ops, legal tech teams, utilizing this human-centered process along with design skills to ensure that One, uh, when you're thinking about legal tech, that it's actually user-friendly, it's really serving the target audience um, and then creating value. So I would say legal tech and legal design are two sides of the same coin. You need to have the design element to ensure that your legal tech is usable and adopted, but you equally need to have the tech element uh, to ensure that, you know, we can optimise the efficiency of processes using technology. I think that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, Um, And then so that's on the legal tech creation, but we're equally seeing a lot of particularly in-house teams using legal design to test and validate um, and select legal technology. So that's why I think it's also really important for people in the legal tech industry to understand what legal design is so that they can perhaps even integrate it uh, within sales pitches, as well as within their implementation process for their customers and yeah. clients.
0: And I like how you brought out both sides, where you said from the technology vendor side, it's keeping the user at the center and figuring out what works best for their user, while on yeah. the user side, they can use legal design to identify and select the right vendor for their yeah. internal requirements. Yeah. So, Meera, you also teach the Fundamentals of Legal Design, an online course from Bond University, which is designed specifically for busy legal professionals. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this course and how it better equips legal teams and legal professionals seeking to tackle complex problems and implement legal design in their ways of working. And I particularly wanted to ask this question because you have talked about how legal design is also a skill set. So how does this help bringing that skill set to the legal industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, as you mentioned uh, in your very generous introduction, um, I am a learning and development leader and change management professional. So a bulk of my work is really uh, helping teams, uh, legal industry or otherwise, to identify their skills gaps or then skills of the future. So where do we need to strengthen knowledge and skills and behaviours to ensure that um, the legal industry or your legal team stays relevant, competitive, and can continue to serve your clients and create value as best as possible. Um, And legal design is one of the areas that is exponentially growing as a necessity, that along with generative AI. Um, For example, actually this year in September, there will be the Legal Design Summit in Helsinki. It's sold out within the first day and there'll be 500 people from over 40 different countries coming to Helsinki for the Legal Design Summit. So that just gives you an idea of how relevant um, skills in legal design are. Um, So... If you do a bit of a Google search, then legal design as a subject is taught at quite a few universities, which I'm really happy to see, but it's to undergrads and postgrads, so people without their legal degree. And so many of my clients, uh, as well as legal professionals in the industry are looking to upskill and strengthen their legal design competencies for themselves, but also for their teams. In saying that, as a legal professional working full time, uh, you are time deprived, right, Priyadashi? Like time isn't it isn't always in on your side. So I'm really happy that um, together with Bond University, we've created a 90 day online course, which is self paced and seamlessly fits into legal professionals' uh, timetable. Um, it really focuses on the fundamental skills of legal design, so that you then have enough knowledge, methods, tools, templates. It's the whole Kid and caboodle to then take legal design and build that up within your organization team. And then, of course, strengthen your legal profile. Um, On top of that, so we also have a whole section where there are interviews and case studies from different industry giants uh, spanning global private practice firms as well as in house, as well as other legal design consultants sharing their work. Um, And finally, because a big portion of legal design is learning by doing. Um, I've designed the course so that there's a practical assignment. So you're actually creating and using a tried and tested legal design pitch deck, which I provide, uh, to actually create the pitch for your first legal design project, which we've then had our first cohort actually go and implement um, and pitch in their own organizations.
0: Wonderful. So anyone in the audience, please make note of that. And it would be a good idea to sign up for the course if you're looking to upskill yourself or your team in legal design so we talked about the upskilling bit and and i know that despite having the skill set it's not going to be easy to get legal teams to adopt legal design solutions so what are some of the effective change management techniques that can be applied to incentivize legal teams to use legal design methodology
1: yeah i think you've hit the nail on the head that the actual kind of adoption of legal design solutions but it's not just actually legal design solutions I think when you're introducing any new solution or technology particularly to the legal industry there have been many many research projects around um, lawyers openness to change and and new things and actually Lawyers are the profession that rank the highest in terms of scepticism. Uh, whilst that's good because it means you're critically um, assessing different things, new things, it can also be a hindrance when it comes to changing um, more dynamically and perhaps at the pace that is required. Mm. And so I that's couldn't agree
0: you- with you more, Mira, um- because this is the second time this has come up on the podcast where lawyers <laughs> test very high on skepticism and i think it's mm. exactly because of what you said because you're trained to highlight the risks analyze the risks and you know play safe ensure you're covering all risks lawyers tend to uh, not be as comfortable with trying out new things because there is a risk of failure
1: absolutely um and as you said it's just not perhaps Uh, what is strengthened in traditional legal training, you know, too. So that is why change management is such an important um, principle in legal change. And so whether that's trying to get teams to adopt legal design or a new piece of legal technology, change management is all about the people side of change, right? You can put in a legal design solution or a new piece of legal technology or a new process, But unless it's used and adopted by people, that change isn't successful and you're not getting the return on investment that you should be. So I think your your question asked about some effective change management techniques. Uh, Of course, as as you know, change management is a whole field in itself, which I've specialized in. Um, One effective change management technique is to use a recognized change management framework. There are several, Uh, the one that is my preference and that I use with um, my change management projects is the ProSci ADCAR method. So that's looking at uh, building awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. So that's um, always good to start off with a framework that just gives people structure, but also if we put ourselves uh, using, you know, legal design, put ourselves in the shoes of lawyers. Lawyers do like structure, we like processes, we like um, clear. Uh, we like clarity, right? So I think using a framework is always going to help um, with adoption and use of any solution, legal design or other. Another thing that is really important is to gain sponsorship. Um, people look to others who they respect, typically also leaders within an organization. So. When I'm working with uh, my clients and we are looking at not just creating one legal design solution, but really helping their team to become design driven, we always assign a sponsor. That will be someone usually in a leadership role, uh, for example, head of innovation, a partner, um, or then someone within the organization who does um, have good credibility and is trusted by others. And they really need to be an active voice and actively supporting the legal design project. Uh, So sponsorship is another uh, good technique to ensure that your change management and the people actually come along from the uh, current state to your future desired state. Uh, There are many other techniques that that we can implement. Uh, Pilots are, are also good. So you kind of soft launch something, get people to get a taste for it, get their feedback, uh, bring people along in the journey, you know, have them actually provide their input and their thoughts because people are more likely to support initiatives that they have actually been a part of building than those that are just like pressed onto them, right? It, it makes sense. If you've had a part of building something, you're more likely to adopt it than if you yeah. just told them, now you do this. Because then they
0: feel more part of the solution.
1: Absolutely. And that is, that is uh, very much a premise of legal designs. And then finally, I'll just list one more, but as I said, there's a plethora of different techniques uh, is communication Um, and communication throughout a change process is critical. And that should also, the communication should be crafted in a way that actually speaks to your intended audience. So yeah, that, they're just a few techniques that we can use.
0: And you know, uh, Mira, though communication seems like obvious to everyone, often it's the one that people make mistakes with the most because they aren't clear, they don't communicate at the right time and yeah. they don't communicate effectively um, the changes that are going to happen in the system and if that's not done properly, it could really derail the process. So I love that you emphasize that because uh, people tend to overlook it because they all feel communication is so easy. We can all do it.
1: Yeah, but we can all do it. But can all organizations and team do it well? I think that's the difference. And yeah, I think there's, from my experience, you cannot over communicate during um, a change management process. And if you're communicating only when the solution is already being implemented, that communication is far too late. Um, yeah. So yeah, I completely agree. Communication is is a key technique when it comes to successful change management. So the people yeah. side of change.
0: So this brings me to my next question, um, because we're always saying that it's not about change management at one time, but it's also about creating an environment of continuous learning because everything is changing. And especially because of technology, the change is happening at a much quicker pace. So would you say that change management philosophy too has to be continuous rather than a one-time effort?
1: Yeah. um, If we actually think about the fundamentals of legal design course, Priya I made a conscious effort to create a whole module on change management Um, in legal design because it is such an important aspect of building that competency and becoming design driven Um, and absolutely (laughs) change management it's not a one-time effort it's not just one communication Um, it is absolutely continuous in saying that though whilst it's definitely not a one-time effort it is continuous for a certain amount of time so you need to identify like what constitutes success? What would be considered a successful change? You know, at what critical mass do we say we have enough people who have adopted and use um, legal design? And so for that period of time, the change management techniques and your change management process is continuous. But once you hit that critical mass, then I think you can start slowing that down because you've then actually realized your change. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I guess if you go back to Roger's um, curve of adoption, it's once you pass the curve and you're heading down, then uh, you could say you've crossed the point of critical mass.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's when your change management efforts can start to uh, decrease or, or peter away. Um, I loved your point around continuous learning Um, and I think there one thing that is really good for legal teams to embrace and I think it also comes from building certain mindsets is that change is inevitable and change itself will be continuous yeah Um, yeah
0: how much are change management principles universal for every problem or process and how much do you need to customize processes for the particular issue at hand?
1: Every every change management process requires customization because perhaps the the mass of people that it affects can be different. The types of people or the audience can be different. Maybe it's the bulk of your everyday workforce. Maybe it's just leadership, you know. Maybe it's two companies coming together and we're needing to sync processes, sync uh, types of working. So because change management is the people side of change um, and that is something that's actually really uh, that philosophy is really built into in the ProSci, ADCA method of, of change management and every person's different. Every group of people are different. So, of course, customization is needed. At the same time, if I go back to frameworks, that is something that can be consistent. You can implement a certain framework for that you can follow uh, for every change management process. So, there's a mix of uh, customization as well as um, consistency.
0: Got it. So like the principles like ADCAR that you mentioned, those stay the same, but the application of those principles is, of course, unique to the, each situation.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Meera. This concludes our episode on des- legal design and change management. I think we've all learned a lot. And if particularly for me, I can't wait to try and implement one of these ad- in my next project. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Bye-bye.